Good morning. All right, so my topic for today is heaven on earth. All right, so let's get right into it. Now, I want to lay out some terms first. Those words, heaven, hell, law, and salvation. I want to just give more clarity on them. And then I will bring it together at the end. All right. Now, in Western Christianity, we have been taught that our life on earth determines whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. Basically, our decision for Jesus. Basically, our decision for Jesus will determine or will book our ticket to go to heaven. That's actually what we, we have been taught all these years. Now, I remember the first time before I got baptized, it was, I think it was 2010, the guy told me, if I don't get baptized, I'm going to go to hell. So I quickly got baptized, booked my ticket, ready to go to heaven. <laughs> Funny enough, um, Jesus never preached this. Never. The disciples never preached that. But still we have many, many evangelists today preaching that. Fearing people of hell to get them to say a sinner's prayer to book their ticket to go to heaven. So I want to lay out some terms first. So you guys have a better understanding of what I want to say. Um, and also about those terms there. Now, I want to start with the word hell. Yeah, there's not many people preaching about hell. Every time you hear the word hell, when you see the word hell in your Bible, you think of an afterlife burning place. That's the image you have in your mind. But there are actually four different words in the original languages translated as hell in your English Bibles. And they have different meanings. All right, so before I start, I just want to say I'm not saying there isn't hell. What I'm saying, every word you see in your Bible translated as hell is not necessarily referring to an afterlife burning place. All right, and I'll show you. Now, the four words are, I'm just going to write them here. The Hebrew word is Sheol. That is the word used in the Old Testament. The equivalent to the Hebrew word Sheol is Hades, used in the New Testament, the Greek word. All right. Then there was a word used once, Tartarus. Tartarus, and then another word mostly used by Jesus, Jehenna, or Gehenna. All right. Now, the word Sheol in the Old Testament simply refers to the grave. In the first period or the first temple Hebrew people, they didn't think much of the afterlife. You can go study it out. They didn't think much of the afterlife. To them, it was all about the life here and now. Whether you live, you live or you die, you go to the grave. So many times you will see the word Sheol. It was also many times it's translated as the grave, simply the grave or the place of the dead. All right. Then we get the word Hades. Now, the second temple period Jews, after they were taken captive to Babylon and later on as well, their culture was heavenly influenced by Babylonian culture, and later on by Greek culture. That's why we see a word like Hades. It actually comes from Greek mythology. Hades, the same with Tartarus. It comes from Greek mythology. So later on, in the time of Jesus, they believed that the place of the dead had two compartments. One for the righteous, one for the unrighteous. All right? It was a popular belief at the time of Jesus. You can also see something similar when he used the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, something similar. He used the parable because it was what they believed at that time. But remember, the, a parable reveals something else. Because keep that in mind. Now, let me give you a few examples. David in Psalm 16, 
He prophesied about Jesus, about his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. So he said there, he says, you will not leave my soul in Sheol. All right? You will not leave my soul in Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Now, to the Hebrew people back then, before the second temple, to them, body and soul was the same thing. There wasn't really a difference. You will see in, in, in Genesis as well, it says that God breathed into Adam and he became a living being, a living soul. All right? So soul was basically to be alive, to be a living being. So when he said, you will not leave my soul in our days or in Sheol in the Old Testament, he was saying, you will not leave my body there in the grave. You will not let me see corruption. You will raise again. That's the, that's the point of that. We know Jesus' spirit, because there's a lot of preaching saying Jesus' spirit went to hell. and to the, No, he didn't. His spirit went to God. He says before he died, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The guy next to him on the cross, he said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. It is exactly the same word used by Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, I knew a man once that was caught up into the third heaven. Two verses later, he used the same word, but he used paradise. So the third heaven refers to paradise. It's the heavenly realm. That's where Jesus' spirit was. All right? But his body was left in the grave. Okay. So you guys with me? Now in Acts 2 verse 27... Peter quoted Psalm 16, and he says there, you will not leave my soul in Hades, or Hades, Hades, all right. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. So it simply referred to the grave back then. But later on, they got some other beliefs, and all right. Now, let me quickly see here. Then I want to look at the word Gehenna. This word was mostly used by Jesus in the Gospels. Now, it can be symbolic for destruction as well, but it is actually a physical place outside of Jerusalem. It was a valley. It was also known as the Valley of Hinnom. You will read about that in Jeremiah 7 verse 31. And that is where the Israelites, or some of them, burned their sons for the false gods. And God said to them, he says, it never entered into my mind. I never commanded you to burn your sons. It never even entered into my mind. And later in Jeremiah 19 from verse 5, he says, this place is now called the Valley of Slaughter. In the time of Jesus, it became a garbage dump. So all the garbage was dumped there. It was constantly burning. The bodies of criminals, the dead bodies of criminals were thrown in there, burned there. All the outcasts of the Jews, they lived there or moved around there looking for food. There were worms constantly feeding on the dead carcasses. So it was a horrific place, actually. Now, to give you an example, in Mark, there's actually a few examples, but in Mark 9, from, you can read from verse 45 and onwards, Jesus, he said a few things, and he said, it's better for you to pluck out one eye than having two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. The fire, the hell there is Gehenna, to be thrown into the fire of Gehenna, all right? Then he says, after that, he says, where the worm doesn't die and where the fire is unquenchable. Now, he was quoting from Isaiah 66. If you are Isaiah 66 from verse 22. If you read from there, God says, I'm making a new heaven and earth. We know about the new heaven and earth. We spoke a lot about it already. It refers back to Revelation 21, the new heaven and earth, which is us. And then it says, two verses later, he says, and they will look unto the dead bodies, the dead carcasses of the people that rebelled against me. Where their worm doesn't die, 
where the fire is unquenchable. He was speaking about a physical place, not an afterlife. Now in Matthew 23, verse 33, we know Matthew 23 is all the woes unto the Pharisees. Okay? Then in Matthew 23, verse 33, Jesus told them, he says, How will you escape the damnation of Gehenna? How will you escape being condemned to Gehenna? So he was basically telling them, how will you escape being thrown into the fire of Gehenna? And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. When the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, the dead bodies of the Jews were thrown in there. Exactly what happened. All right. So just a few things um, that I want to show you guys. It's also similar than what John said in Matthew 3. He said to the Pharisee when they came to his baptism, he said to them, how will you escape the wrath to come? All right. It's similar. All right. So now, keep that in mind. Let's go quickly to the, I want to speak about the law. We need to realize and we need to keep in mind that the law was only given to Israel. It was not given to the Gentiles. We hear sometimes people preach as if we were under the law. We were never under the law. It wasn't even given to us. All right. It was given to Israel only. Now, it says in Romans 5, verse 13, sin was in the world. It says also that the Gentiles, if you read somewhere else, I think it's in Romans 2, the Gentiles was without the law, but they still died because of sin. I mean, sin still has consequences. Even today, Jesus died for your sins, but if you keep living in sin, there's consequences. That's it. All right. But it says in Romans 5, verse 13, where there is no law, sin is not imputed. It's not charged against you. It's not held against you. But Israel being under the law, meaning their sins were held against them. All right? The law condemned them. Not God. God said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19, He says, I've reconciled the world unto myself, not imputing their sin against them. Not holding their sin against them. All right? But the law held their sin against them. Now going to Romans 7. So Paul started, he says, but I'm speaking now to people who know the law. Okay, so he's speaking to people under the law. He's speaking to Jews. Then he goes on to say in Romans 7 verse 10, the law that was intended to life or for life, I found unto death. It brought death. Then going to Romans 8, he calls the law, the law of sin and death. So keep that in mind. He going to 2 Corinthians 3, he calls the law, the ministration of death. Why? Because the law condemned them to death. The law held their sin against them. So the law condemned them to death. The law was also called the veil. It veiled their hearts. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, he says, The law is the power of sin. And the sting of sin is death. So in other words, the law holds the power over death. Ephesians 2, the law was said to be the middle wall. The wall between Jew and Gentile. Because the law was given to Israel only. They were under the old covenant. So they think very high of themselves. It was a disgrace for a Jew to even speak to a Gentile. It was a disgrace for them. Because they were not in the covenant. So they thought of themselves of being special because they're in the covenant with God. All right. And that's why Jesus, he came to break down that middle wall. He says, by crucifying the ordinances, the commandments to the cross. All right. So let's go on. So keep that all in mind. Now, going to the word salvation. The Jews believed in ages. 
Sometimes we see the word everlasting in the Bible, we think it's everlasting. The word in the Greek is aeon. It means a certain period of time, not everlasting. So sometimes when Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will have everlasting life, he was actually saying to them, if you believe in me, you will live from this age to the next age. It's an age during life. You will go to the next age. Now, there were two main ages that the Jews believed in. It was the Mosaic age, the age of Moses, the law age, and then the Messianic age, the age of the Messiah. Now, in Hebrews 9 verse 26, it says that Jesus was, he appeared once at the end of the age to put away sin. All right, so the cross happened somewhere here. It was close to the end of the age. Now, if you read in Hebrews 9 verse 15, he says, He redeemed them from the transgressions committed under the old covenant. So he died for the sins committed under the old covenant. Who was under the old covenant? The Jews. All right. The whole book of Hebrews was written for the Jews. It was for people under the law. Because it speaks about the old and the new covenant. All right. And it was warning people not to go back to the old covenant. Now, going to Galatians 4, I'm going to read from verse 1. Let me read from the King James. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, now keep that word in mind, child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but he is under tutors, governors, until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, again the same word, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. The elements there refers to the law, the principles of that world, the law principles. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So again, Paul is speaking to the Jews because they were under the law. The Gentiles were not under the law. All right. He's speaking to Jewish people there. In every, most of those, I know Galatians, there's, there's Gentiles as well, but he's referring to the Jews there because they were under the law. So he said Jesus came in the fullness of time, so in the, in the end of that age, to redeem them from the law. So they can receive the adoption of sons. Now that is a Jewish thing. We said it before in this church, but if a Jewish father has a son, that son is a child until he's ready to receive the inheritance. Then he's adopted as a son. Then he's adopted. That's adoption of sonship. All right? So when he's ready and of a full age to receive his inheritance, he's adopted as a son now into the family, into the family business. All right? So that's a Jewish thing. So the Jews were under the law. They were children under the law. So Jesus come to redeem them from the law so they can receive the adoption of sonship. The Gentiles were not under the law. Jesus came to break down the middle wall between Jew and Gentile, to make one new creation, one new man. So for the Gentiles, it was to reveal that they are sons as well. It was to reveal to them that they're part of the inheritance. It's to bring them into the inheritance as well. All right? That's why Paul was sent to the Gentiles to preach Christ in them. So the one new man that Jesus basically created is God in man. It's Christ in you. That's the new man. It's not some physical place there. It's not some old covenant there. It's one new man, God in you. All right, let's go to Hebrews 2 verse 15 to 17. 
I'm going to read from verse 14. Sorry, I'm going to read from verse 14. Now listen to this. For as much then as the children, he's, same word, children. He's speaking to Jews. He says, are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Then he says, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now another translation, it says, he came to help the descendants of Abraham. So he's speaking again to the Jews here, all right? Now, who had the power of death? We see the word devil there and we think, oh, spiritual entity. It's a spirit. All right. It's not what it's saying there. Every time you see the word devil in your Bible, it's not always referring to a spirit or a spiritual entity. Sometimes it's just a description. Okay? For example, if I look at the word Satan, Jesus called Peter Satan. Was Peter Satan? No. Did Satan enter Peter? No. No, Satan didn't enter Peter. The word Satan in the original language means adversary, right? means opposition. Because Peter was standing in opposition to what Jesus was going to do. So he said, Satan, get out of my way. Opposition, get out of my way. All right? The same word and in the Hebrew Bible, the word is satanos, if I say it right, something like that. But that same word was used for the angel of the Lord in Numbers 22 that stood Balaam in the way. When the donkey stood still and didn't move. The same word Satanos was used for the angel of the Lord. So it's a description. All right? Sometimes it's used as a description. So you need to understand the context. Now the word devil there, it's the word diabolos in the Greek. But it means accuser. Okay? It means accuser. Now Jesus said in John 5 verse 45, he was speaking to the Jews. He said, there's only one. That accuses you. Only one. He didn't say devil, Satan, nothing. He said Moses. Moses is accusing you. The law is accusing you. All right? We read in Revelation 12, he says, the accuser of the brethren was thrown down, was kicked out of heaven. The devil was never in heaven. He's speaking about the law, the high priest, the teachers of the law losing their authority. Because the moment Jesus died on the cross, what happened? He broke the power of the law. That very thing that caused them or that condemned them to death, he broke it. He broke that power. He broke that authority. Because we know the law was the law of sin and death. So when he said, yeah, destroying the one that had power over death, he was talking about the accuser, the law, breaking its authority. So what happened is at the cross, Jesus broke down the middle wall. By crucifying, you can read in Ephesians 2, by crucifying the law and the commandments to the cross, okay? So he broke the power of the law there. But the law was still in play up until 70 AD, where it was finally completely destroyed. Now, in Luke 21, verse 28, in the whole of Luke 21, Jesus was prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem, all right? The destruction of the temple and everything like that. And he told the disciples, when you see all these things happening, he says you can start lifting up your hands because your redemption is near. So they were saved from what? From the, the old covenant, from the law. They were saved from that very thing that condemned them to death, that held their sin against them. All right? Okay. Isaiah 13. 
verse 14. If you read the context of Isaiah, he's speaking to Israel. And then in Isaiah 13, verse 14, he says, I'm going to ransom you from the power of Sheol, the power of the grave. I'm going to redeem you from death. What death is he speaking about? The administration of death, the law, all right? Isaiah prophesied something similar, and I want to read it to you. Isaiah 25, from verse 6. He says, and in this mountain, now the mountain there is Jerusalem. Okay? It was known as the, as the Mount of God. He says, shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, a fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain. Now listen carefully. He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all the nations. The veil, which is the law. Then he says, he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all, of all faces. And the rebuke of his people. Remember, he's speaking to Israel. The rebuke of his people shall he take away from all, of all the earth. Who was rebuking Israel? Who was accusing Israel? The law. He says, going to take it away. Then death will be swallowed up in victory. That means the power, the thing, the very thing that had power over death is taken away. All right? Okay, then he says, for the Lord has spoken it. Now, Paul quoted this in 1 Corinthians 15. You read from verse 54. He says, when mortality will put on immortality. The saying will come to pass. The saying, that means it was said in the Old Testament. He said that death will be swallowed up in victory. All right? Now, let me go there quickly. Let me read the whole thing to you quickly. 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 54. So he says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, now the word there is hades, that it was translated as grave here. Where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. Now listen to this. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So just after that, he speaks about the law that had the power over sin, that power over death. All right? And then he says, but thanks to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he was speaking about what happened here. The law was totally, Jesus broke the power of the law, and it was totally destroyed in 70 AD. That means that ministration of death, that thing that condemned them to death, was totally taken out of the way. The rebuke of his people was taken away, all right, to enter the new covenant. That's why he says in Hebrews 8 and 10, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will remember the sins no more, all right. Now, let's speak a bit about heaven, and then I'll bring it all together. When Jesus started preaching, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say, no, repent, let's get you into heaven. He said, the kingdom of God is, all right. When he sent out his disciples to preach, he said, go preach this. Just say this, the kingdom of God is at hand. Then heal the sick, cleanse the leopards, raise the dead, and so on. Just say, the kingdom of God is here, all right. Then he said, when he taught his disciples to pray, he told them, okay, pray like this. Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. So it's something from there coming down. Not something here going there. From there down. All right. In Hebrews 12, Paul says that we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We have come to it. 
Not future tense, past tense. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Now going to the book of Revelation. First of all, it says in Revelation 1 verse 3, blessed are the people that read this book, that hear the words of this prophecy. All right? You are blessed when you understand the book of Revelation. It will clear up all the end time nonsense that you have believed. And it was specifically for the people back then, because it warned them not to go back to Jerusalem, not to go back to the old covenant, because its destruction was near. All right. Revelation 22 verse 10, just to confirm that the book of Revelation is in the past, all right? And we believe it as that as well. But Revelation 22 verse 10 says the following. The angels, he's speaking to John, he says, don't seal up the prophecy of the scroll or the prophecy of this book. He says it's about to happen. It is near. Okay? Now, if you want to go back and study it out, go take the word near and see where else was it used in the Bible. Let's see if it's 2,000 years later. Everywhere that word was used, it happened in that person's lifetime or in a few months, in a few days, at most in a year or so. All right. Every time that word was used elsewhere in the Bible. So when the angel spoke to John and said, don't seal up this prophecy, it's about to happen. He meant it. It was to happen in John's lifetime. Sometimes we see stuff in the book of Revelation. We don't know how to explain it, so we put it in the future. Now let's just throw it in the future. Rather study it out and get an explanation for it than putting stuff in the future that's not supposed to be in the future. So going to Revelation 21. I want to read to you from verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God. Where from? Out of heaven. Coming down. No, nothing going up. Coming down. Then he says, Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Not we going there, God coming down, all right? And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Then he says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Where did we read this? In Isaiah 25. Wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Now we think there, okay, it's speaking about physical death. It cannot be. It must be in the future. It's not speaking about physical death there. He's speaking about the ministration of death. The thing that condemned them to death. The thing that had power over death. That thing is no more. It's gone. All right? And then he says, Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The former things. The former way of doing things. The former law passed away. All right? Then, now, in Acts 3, I think it's Acts 3 verse 21. When Jesus died, and he was resurrected, and he ascended to the Father. Am I right? In Acts 3, it says, heaven must retain him. Okay, so heaven must retain him. But now in Revelation 21, after the destruction of Jerusalem, after the destruction of the law, taking away of the law, it says now, God came down. His tabernacle is with man now. So the heaven retained Jesus for 40 years after the cross until 70 AD. Heaven retained him. What happened there? He was building his new temple. He was building his new temple, the holy Jerusalem. He was building it, building it. Preparing the minds of the people that the temple is not a physical place in Jerusalem. The temple is you. All right? Preparing the minds, preparing the minds. When that thing was totally taken away, 
What happened? The new Jerusalem came down. God's tabernacle is with man now. You the new temple. It was heaven coming down to earth. Okay. So the best way to draw this is actually like this. You have heaven here, earth here, and heaven coming down to earth. So our destination, and Paul even, he calls us in Philippians 3 verse 20, he says you're already a citizen of heaven. So why you want to get into some place where you're already a citizen of? All right? You understand? So you're already a citizen of heaven. The kingdom of God is within you. So our destination is not to go to heaven. That's not our destination. Our destination or our goal is not to miss this place and just go to that place. That's not our destination. In fact, this is actually not even biblical. This is not what it is about. It's about heaven coming down to earth. So our destination is to grow into the full measure and stature of Christ, to manifest heaven on earth. So Jesus, his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection was not to get you into heaven. It was to get heaven through you. It was to prepare your mind to get heaven through you. He even told the disciples before the cross, kingdom of heaven is within you. So his death was to get heaven to manifest through you. That is our goal. That is our destination. All right. Every time when you are kind to somebody, you are manifesting heaven on earth. Every time you heal somebody, you are manifesting heaven on earth. Every time. Every time you do good. Every time you take care of somebody or helping somebody, you're manifesting heaven on earth. And that's the whole point of our being. That's why we are here. And that's our destination. All right. And I think that's it. I'm going to give you a few minutes. Just pray. Just pray in the Spirit. If you feel to pray for somebody, do that. Realize that you are the temple of God. That God is not waiting for you somewhere. He is already inside of you. His tabernacle is with you. He is with you forever. Let's just keep that in mind. And let's pray that God will help us to manifest Him more wherever we go. God came to save you from an empty life. From an empty life to living from Him, to manifest Him on earth. So Father, I just pray. I pray for every person here. I pray that you will stir up their spirits, Father. That they will start living in their full potential, Father. The potential of citizens of heaven. Manifesting heaven on earth, Father. Changing, just to renew their minds so that it's about here and now. To manifest heaven here and now, Father. Their ticket's already booked. <laughs> they know where they're from, Father. So I pray, Father, that you will help them, help us, Father, to manifest you. That everywhere we go, Father, heaven will influence that place, Father. Heaven will take over that place, Father. Every situation, Father, I pray that heaven will take over that situation, Father. And then I want to add this, I forgot to say this, but the whole point of Pentecost was, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people, on the disciples, it was heaven manifesting. It was heaven that was poured out. Heaven coming down to earth and poured out. That's the whole point of you being baptized in the Spirit. is to manifest heaven on earth. Everywhere you go, in your workplace, in your, uh, your family life, everywhere. When you go to the shopping mall, to manifest heaven on earth. 
You might be the breakthrough for somebody that's been praying for 10 years. When you go into a shop, just there in pick and pay, you might be the breakthrough for that person. So Father, let's just, just help us, Father. Lead us, guide us in truth to manifest heaven everywhere we go, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.